Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Catherine Koss is an experienced nutritional therapy practitioner. She has a master's degree in rehabilitation counseling and disability studies. She is a full-time freelance writer and blogger with strong interests in health, nutrition, spirituality, relationships, and sexuality. Catherine is the author of the book, 40s on Fire, Honor Your Moods, Rediscover Your Sexuality, Thrive Through Your 40s. She lives in upstate New York with her two boys, dog, and cat. She enjoys CrossFit, hiking the high peaks in the Adirondacks, and bass fishing with her boys. You can find her at www.primalmusings.com, on Facebook at Primal Musings, and on Instagram at Primal underscore Musings. Catherine Koss, what a pleasure to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's such an honor. We're so happy to have people um, who tell us that it's okay if you're a big person to go and play. (laughs) Why is that so important for you? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I feel like we just, in general, don't make time to play. We think, you know, you're not a kid anymore. You're a grown-up and you have to do all adult things. But I think that innate desire is still inside of you to just have fun and let loose and relax and we're kind of pushed away from that a lot. Sure. So what have, what have been some of your favorite ways to play recently? Well, I actually started um, jujitsu uh, wow. back in November. And, and that's really been fun because you can kind of get silly and playful with that. Um, and then I just, I enjoy um, being outside with my kids. We, we enjoy um, having like impromptu dance parties, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I love it. I was on your Instagram page and I saw yeah. um, I saw you guys doing some fishing recently. So in the intro, that wasn't any hyperbolic. You were actually out there catching fish. That's great. Yeah, we love that. Um, we come from a, a fishing family. My father's really into fishing and he really instilled it in us. And then we kind of passed it on to the kiddos. And my younger son has really taken a, a big liking. He likes it a lot. Oh, that's great. I love it. And just from the pictures yeah. of where you are, it looks absolutely beautiful up in upstate New York. Is that correct? Yes. Upstate New York. It's so beautiful here, except the winters are a little bit too long and I would, you know, prefer to be somewhere warmer during the winter, <laughs> totally. <laughs> but I'm a son. I'm definitely, I'm definitely a summer person. So. <laughs> totally. Yeah. We can totally relate to that. Of course. Um, well, you have such an interesting story and I would love to, um, you know, share that story with our listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up and some of the challenges you faced? Well, I definitely, I grew up with having just a lot of stress and anxiety. I didn't really know what was causing it as a kid, but definitely some childhood trauma and it didn't really impact me physically until probably my, my early twenties when I started having issues and I say physically, but also anything that impacts our body physically, there's also that, you know, that brain connection as well. So I definitely struggled with anxiety, depression, um, you know, things like that popping up that I, at the time, you know, just considered it to be a condition without really understanding what might be going on deep down to connect to that. How did you start to address some of those things? I would say going to school, again, having this desire to learn a certain topic, but not really understanding where it stemmed from, because I just didn't have that in-depth knowledge of myself yet. 
I, my undergraduate degree is in movement science, health and fitness. And I grew up in, in a home where my, you know, my mother struggled with obesity and depression and anxiety, and there wasn't really an emphasis on health. So I think that led me in that direction, wanting to have a different life, but it didn't, it didn't really click. You know, it just, I was just like, oh, this looks like an interesting thing to study. It didn't, I didn't really make that connection quite yet. So how were you able to start to discover some of the root causes of the issues? I think as I got older and I had kids, I had children and a lot of my, and I know I talk about this a lot is autoimmune conditions and women. And a lot of the, these autoimmune conditions are triggered after having children, after giving birth and after having children, it's almost like a switch is turned on those, you have those, those autoimmune genes, but sometimes they're not triggered quite yet. And after having kids, a lot of health issues developed. So I started exploring different ways to improve my health to try to get to the root cause. And of course, I went down some not so great paths before finding a path that worked best for me. Mm. It's interesting, you know, I, there's definitely ways to, to kind of make this worse and, you know, follow the wrong path. But it's also interesting that like, once you're on the path, I don't really worry so much about people because at least they're aware of it and they will continue progressing, you know, down the road, however long it takes them. And it's a pretty standard progression that I see a lot of people, you know, starting out eating the standard American diet. And then they realize that that's, mm -hmm. you know, exacerbating a lot of the problems. And so they switch over to something like, you know, a paleo diet or, um, you know, vegan diet, vegetarian diet. Can you tell us a little bit about which ones you experienced yeah. in the beginning? Yeah, so I started off when my children were really young. I read the China study, which is, you know, very mm. um, plant-based vegan agenda. And I thought it was like the Bible. <laughs> and so I went, you know, I was feeding my children soy. I was cutting out all meat and animal-based products and making these vegan desserts and, you know, thinking I was doing the greatest thing ever. But my autoimmune conditions got worse and my thyroid became enlarged. And I, you know, I, I was diagnosed with four different autoimmune conditions and I was, you know, on anti-anxiety medications, postpartum, just a lot of um, physical and mental issues. I was just really struggling and it seems to get worse when I switched to uh, the vegan diet. So then that's when I actually went to a workshop that a, a local chiropractor was holding. And the workshop was on gluten and brain health. <clears throat> so it started with me, actually, I think he was talking about foods that irritate the gut, leaky gut and brain health. So he talked a lot about gluten, dairy, and soy being top offenders. So my, so my first step after, after diving into vegan was to, to cut those foods out. And I noticed a huge difference. Then I started reading, you know, that's when I think it was around 2012, 2013, when Rob Wolf really started bringing up and paleo really started bringing up. So I started a paleo blog called Primal Bliss Nutrition. And I started by blogging about my son's 
real food school lunches because I started to switch him over to a more paleo-based school lunches with meat and vegetables and berries. And I would take pictures of them in the little lunch box. And, and so there was a Facebook page called Just Eat Real Food. And they had, gosh, they're still a pretty big page a lot of followers and she would share his school lunches and that really helped to kind of drive people to my blog. And it, my blog was mostly recipes at the time, like paleo recipes. I was doing a lot of cooking. Mm. Were you getting any pushback from anybody? Was anybody like losing their minds that you were actually feeding your kids like food? <laughs> yes, I definitely, especially my in-laws at the time, they were, they thought I was giving, you know, too much meat and, they weren't getting it. They were really stressed about the milk and the dairy because it's so stressed to drink milk <laughs> in our culture. Um, so that, you know, I, I did get a lot of flack from all of that for sure. Wow. It was definitely not. Yeah, it was definitely. And then I, I'd have a lot of angry vegans on my blog, on my Facebook page that I had to deal with. And it was definitely a, a, not the easiest. It's, ne- it's never easy when you're doing something that goes against what everybody else is doing. I'm just curious about this. Have you ever encountered an angry carnivore? Like anybody following the carnivore diet? Have you, have, have you ever seen an angry one? I have not. I have not dealt with that yet. No. I know. And it doesn't seem, I mean, I'm not that into the carnivore community as much as I was into the paleo community. I just kind of do it for my own health at this point, but I'm not as engaging in, in terms of like that actively in that community. But I do find that it, it can, any, any type of, any form of eating can become dogmatic and can become preachy. So I try to be careful of that because in the past I had been like that when I was paleo Mm. and I'm, you know, I'm primarily meat based now, but I have added a few things back in and I'm not being, you know, as long as, as long as I can handle it and it's not impacting my health, then I'm not as strict about it as I probably would have been in the past. (laughs) No, I love that. It's just so funny. The longer I'm in this world, I just, I I yet to see anybody angry doing this diet. Everybody's like, yeah, we're, we feel great and it's really chill and we can help you if you want. I, I'm telling exactly, exactly. And that's like most of the people they're like, we're here. We're just spreading good information. We just want to help. There's no money. You know, we're not the carnivore community. It's not like it's a money making community. It's not, (laughs) there might be some bloggers that do, you know, offer some counseling or coaching, but that's probably the extent of it. And most people just want to share their message. Mm. Well, maybe we need to get more, Maybe we need to get more organized and get a bunch of carnivores together and we'll go like throw some kale juice on, you know, a farmer or something and protest. I don't know. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, so, oh, so we've been talking nice. about you and your health, but you started feeding your kids this way. And I'm, yeah. I'm always so curious about this. What, what kinds of behavior changes, if any, did you notice in your kids when they started eating a cleaner diet this way? I mean, I always try to feed them healthy. They probably have always eaten healthier than I have. Um, but then it kind of switched as they got older and they started to want other things. So I'm not at, now that they're kind of teen, teen and preteen, I'm not as strict with them. I want, I know that they're going to want to try and experience that stuff anyway and make their own decisions. 
but I still try for the most part to keep them for in my house to buy healthy choices for them. Mm. But they, so I never really struggled too much with, I never, I was never that I never bought cereal or things like that. And, you know, highly processed things. Now I'll, I'll buy them like a bag once in a while, they'll have chips and guacamole and, you know, so we're not hardcore or strict in with their nutrition now, but definitely for the most part, they've been pretty state, you know, pretty stable. Like they haven't really struggled too much with behavior issues. Mm, that's great. No, I, it's, it's something that people, you know, say if, if I'm starting nutrition coaching with somebody and they'll say like, well, I could eat this way, but my kids would never eat this way. They have to eat kid foods. And I, I understand mm-hmm. that would, that might be challenging, but it's, it's funny. Like everybody I ask who has kids and is doing this, they all pretty much say the same thing that you just did. Like, it's not terribly difficult. The kids kind of like this food anyway. Right. And we never, I never did that. Like whenever we would go out to eat, there was never like separate chicken fingers and kitty type foods. Like they always, it was always a, you know, a big person meal. And when I cooked, I didn't cook separate little things for them. Like they just had what I, what I made. You know, if it was meat and vegetables, they would get meat and vegetables. So I feel like they also just got used to having more real food. And again, their, their diet's not perfect by any means. They're, their teens and they're with their friends and they're with, we, we are, they're parented separately. And, you know, so it's not a hundred percent perfect diet, but I feel like I gave them the best start that I possibly could. And so we didn't really have those too many of those struggles. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you can't live their lives no matter what you do. You can only live your own life, but at least you've set them up for success. And, you know, if they eat foods that make them feel bad, maybe they'll want to eat better down the road. It's it's their lesson to learn. I just think that the setup is so amazing. Yeah. And I wish so much that I would be given that gift. It sounds like you or I were not given that opportunity too much. Correct. Right. And I don't think even in the, like, I don't know, how, I don't know your age, but I'm a child of the eighties and in early nineties. And we, it, I don't think it was even known at the time. No, totally. I mean, when my mom, so yeah, I, I'm 37. My mom was diagnosed with cancer, um, around, I don't know, 1998 or something. And so we switched to a really healthy mm-hmm. diet of whole grain bread and skim milk. <laughs> so it wasn't yeah. exactly like yeah. <laughs> everything that we know today for sure. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, yeah. I'm curious with you, uh, we talked a little bit about your kids, but when did you start to notice that certain, you know, those physical things that you were talking about started to feel better and, and kind of resolve themselves? I'd say there was a huge difference when I switched from, um, again, just cutting out gluten, dairy, soy. But then when I was paleo, I noticed when I was doing my blog that I was getting, I was making a lot of paleo desserts and there was a lot of paleo treats and there was, um, it wasn't so much low carb or low sugar, but it was more, you know, just trying to eat more real food. So it was definitely a huge step in the right direction, but I still struggled a lot with hormonal imbalances and issues surrounding my hormones and my thyroid, especially. So I did dive into some mild sense of keto and I didn't do so great with the mega high fat, especially with digesting. So I think 
switching over to carnivores when I really, I think your question, I'm, I'm like talking so much that I'm forgetting your original question, but I think you asked when I, when I made the switch, when I started to feel better. And I think it was probably around when I started switching to more hardcore carnivore and sticking with meats and cutting out. Cause a lot of people don't know that something that you're taught is healthy, like broccoli for some people, the, some of the ingredients in some of the components of broccoli can trigger autoimmune issues and things like that. So cutting all of that out made a huge difference. Mm. And that's when I started to like really feel, really feel amazing. Wow. And I love that you've already said this, that you didn't have to do that, you know, strictly for the rest of your life. You used it as a tool for a very specific thing mm -hmm. for a very specific time. And then after that was over, you got to open up your diet back up again. I think a lot of people are afraid of carnivore because they think they have to be on it for the rest of their life or they can't ever get off it. You know what I mean? Right. And they, and it seems very, it feels very restrictive when you're used to having uh, so many food options. And I, I like to talk a lot about this because you see a lot of people sharing information on um, people who eat these specific types of diets having some sort of um, dysphoric condition relating to food or eating disorder. They like, you know, it, you're being too restrictive and that's not healthy. Not really understanding that unless you're sick, you don't, it's really hard to understand that cutting certain foods out is actually saving and helping your health. It's not impacting your health. And that, like you said, there's always that option to try and reintroduce. And for me, even if I didn't reintroduce anything and I had to live on, on meat for the rest of my life, there's so many it, I don't feel restricted because I'm satiated and I'm full and I'm not having those blood sugar spikes and plummets. I'm not on that blood sugar roller coaster, stable mood, stable energy. My hormone health has improved so much that I just, you know, I didn't know what it was like to not feel this deep darkness sometimes and like just waking up at night with dread and doom. I, and, and now I don't have that anymore. I don't like, there's a lot of brain chemistry things that have been resolved for me, which for me is huge. And so I feel like unless you really struggle with autoimmune conditions and all these other underlying health issues, it's hard to really understand the restriction. And some people want to do it just for weight loss. But for me, it was definitely, that was not um, that was not one of my personal goals for it. it was more for just to help my health improve. And it has drastically. Wow. I love that. I'm so glad you brought up, um, you know, the eating disorder thing. We have to be very, very conscious of that around here. Bethany struggled with an eating disorder when she was in her teens. Um, and it, it's mm -hmm. funny, like, like if I told somebody on the street, like, yeah, my wife's on a carnivore diet. She eats three different kinds of food ever. And she had an eating disorder. Most people would be like, what the hell are you doing? Like, that's a terrible idea. But if you were to see like the, the plates and plates of food that she can eat, like it's so, it's so great for her and she's happy and full all the time. And and, and yeah, it yeah. just improves everything about her life. Her digestion is way better. Again, her energy is so good. Like yeah. it's not restrictive. 
Yes, I totally agree with you on all of that. It's hard for people to wrap their brains around that. That's been a big struggle, especially with Western dietitians, because they're they're trained as you know very specific nutrients that they think are being absorbed and needed. We're actually because these a lot of these plant phytolectins and <laughs> the that interfere with our ability to absorb nutrients and digest and assimilate our food properly, it's impacting the brain health, which is impacting those types of disorderly um, disorders surrounding food. So it's eating this way can be very healing and it can also heal a lot of things, a lot of inflammation in the brain, which can contribute to all types of anxiety, depression, mood disorders, everything. Like I said, like I, that's been like the, a huge impact for me is to just not feel that, that darkness and that heaviness that I used to experience and just simply by changing my diet. So I do, and I know it doesn't work that way for everyone. And there's all different other things to take into consideration, toxins that are stored in the body and all of that. But I feel like it's definitely a, you know, a huge step in the right direction. If you're struggling with health issues, why not give it a shot and see with, like you said, in the back of your mind, like if I want to reintroduce something and my body handles it okay, then okay. But right now my priority is my health and not looking at it as a, as a disordered way of thinking or eating, but as a way to get your body back in better order. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm very fortunate. I, you know, haven't really dealt with a lot of depression, anxiety. I definitely have times in my life where I've had more or less of it. But that was the thing that really mm -hmm. surprised me the most is when I went to a more strict carnivore diet, my mental clarity and spirituality and gratitude just went off the charts to a level that was so yeah. consistent and stable and present all the time. I It stunned me. And so I can, again, I can't relate to, to, you know, being in a very, very dark place for a really long time, but I can absolutely see how this diet yep. would help somebody just crush some of those things and just feel so much more, you know, clear and better and more grateful. Yes, I completely agree. And also addressing anything underlying that might be contributing to it, addressing those um, childhood wounds that we all have and digging deeper and doing the personal development work doesn't hurt. But I feel like for me personally, my absolute best mental health results and what helped give me that introspection on those things to help me heal from them has been going carnivore. Mm. It's like an adjunct. It's like one more tool in the toolbox that can help you with all kinds of different things. And the way I look at it, I, I love that. You wrote 40s on Fire. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious to hear when that kind of idea started to come into your mind that you, you know, wanted to create some content and then eventually, you know, write a book. Was, was it something like that? Or what, what made you decide to write that book? I've always wanted to write a book and I had for me, the, the premise of the book is really focusing on females in their 40s. And a lot of times you're going through what's known as perimenopause. So it's not menopause. It's the period before losing your period. And women are often labeled like all kinds of things when they're going through this crazy and hormonal and moody. And I wanted to talk about not only honoring 
our moods and the things that come up around that time, because a lot of times we just bury stuff deep within us throughout our cycle. But this is a time when you're, when you have that cycle that all that stuff kind of comes up. So I wanted to write a book about honoring all of, all of being a female in her forties and looking at it as a positive thing, like your sexuality gets better, your everything in your life does can gain more clarity and it doesn't have to be you don't have to be a hormonal wreck you can balance your hormones in your 40s and feel good so i wanted to cover everything that including play and getting adequate sunlight and getting enough sleep we don't talk enough about sleep and we are very um our culture in general we don't value sleep it's kind of our bottom priority, but it should be the most important priority over anything. Mm. So I talk about all of that in the book and I just wanted to help women in their forties to feel like they're not just crazy and hormonal. And like, this is not just how it's going to be, but this is a time when if you do have that underlying leaky gut and you do have underlying health issues, a lot of autoimmune and hormone and thyroid issues and all of that, that's when it really starts to peak. So that's the best time to start paying attention to everything that you need to um, address in your life so that it doesn't become, so so it does become an amazing decade. Mm. So is the book written for women in their 40s or is it written for women, you know, the busy executive in her 20s who is working way too hard and not sleeping enough or the busy woman in her 30s who is starting to see some of these autoimmune conditions start to show themselves, thyroid issues, things like that. Could it also benefit, you know, younger, yeah. younger females by catching some of that stuff a little bit early? Oh, absolutely. I've had some fr- younger friends who read it and loved it. And they thought it really helped them and helped them to prepare for when they hit the, their 40s. So it can really benefit women at any age. And even I've had a, um, some men read the book and really love it and review it and everything as well, because these are all practices and it's very simple. I don't go too in depth, but just how these simple changes and practices can really help benefit your life. And they can benefit anyone. Balancing your hormones is important for anyone, not just women in their 40s. So I did kind of pigeonhole myself a little bit by calling it 40s on fire. But I also really wanted to honor women in their 40s and the struggle because that's who I was primarily writing to. Mm, yeah, no, I, I love that. Um, I, so, you know, there's all kinds of different things that we could talk about and different lifestyle changes. In in your opinion, which lever produces the most results when you pull it? It's a for me there's it's hard to say because I, I really think sleep is up there. <laughs> but I think sleep is the number one neglected and probably makes the hugest impact. But I would say also just cutting out those foods that are that you know are going to contribute to not being able to absorb nutrients in your diet and not being able to heal your digestion so those strong foods that we hear a lot about like gluten dairy soy yeah i think soy is probably a pretty big one up on that list as well uh, talking about sleep what are it is it a quantity issue for most people or is it a quality issue for most people and how can people improve their sleep like what tips or tricks do you recommend i recommend for sleep um 
making sure you are winding down and shutting down and not being so um, on devices and light and bright lights and everything a couple hours before bed. Also getting that early morning sunlight on your skin, which helps to produce adequate melatonin so you can fall asleep at a decent time at night. And then just trying to have good sleep hygiene. So trying to go to bed at at the same time most nights per week and getting up at the same time most nights per week helps a lot with establishing your internal clock, your internal rhythm. Mm, And you get those deeper levels of sleep. Um, blue light blocking glasses. I still recommend those, especially before bed, just to because of the impact that artificial light can have on our sleep long term as well. Mm. I was going to ask you, I think of any lifestyle change I ever ask somebody to try, turning off electronics is probably up there as one of the hardest, hardest things. And so I'm glad you mentioned blue light blocking glasses. I was going to ask you, are you the the superwoman who is the only person on the planet who doesn't stay up until 11 p.m. watching Schitt's Creek like the rest of us? Oh, my God. I did not watch that show. No. <laughs> but... um. I do. I I had been on a different schedule and I did kind of change my schedule quite a bit. I had been going to bed 8, 8.30 and getting up at 4 and then going to like 5.30 a.m. CrossFit. I no longer CrossFit. I now, because I'm taking evening classes and doing jujitsu, I'm staying up a little later and sleeping a little later. So it's definitely changed. But I my my thing is, is it's just to make sure you try to stay on the same schedule. Even if it's even if it has to shift a little bit, sure. Yeah, I really like that. That's that's been you know easier for us if we're kind of following that same schedule and and staying more consistent. Like even on weekends, we just tend to feel better when we do that. You've mentioned something a few times now, which is sunlight and. Catherine, we all know that if you get outside and get sunshine, you are definitely going to get skin cancer, right? Oh my goodness. That is, that's a, um, a very frustrating topic for me because again, it's so, um, that's so ingrained in our culture that it's hard to, to fight back against that, but getting adequate sunlight, getting, it really helps to, again, set your rhythm for the day, but it also helps with getting adequate vitamin D absorption in your body. It also helps balance your hormones and there's a lot of benefits to getting adequate sunlight. Where did the idea come from that like the sun is all of a sudden like bad for us after, you know, millions of years of evolution? I think that the increase in using products to, to block the sun is definitely contributing to a lot of this, a lot of these, um, skin cancers. I don't think it's directly related to, having sun exposure, but also our diet, we're not, a lot of people don't understand the diet connection. So when you're eating these highly processed vegetable oils and, and seed oils that have, that are rancid and can really muck up our cells and our body, that's the biggest contributing factor to getting a sunburn which is also the biggest contributing factor to skin cancer. So we're blaming the sun, but again, it's an underlying nutrition issue that would, it would make a big difference if you cut out those 
vegetable and seed oils and stuck with more animal-based fats. Wow. I love that. I used to burn all the time. I would use tons of sunscreen. Um, I wasn't eating a ton of seed oils, but it definitely wasn't something I was like avoiding like the plague like I do now. And I would always burn. I would burn all the time. And a sunscreen, you know, commercial product really only deactivates one type of ray from the sun. So all it does is prevent you from getting a burn, but you're still getting the damaging rays. And then they're interacting with seed oils, which you mentioned, vegetable oils, which go rancid yeah. when exposed to light, heat, and air. Think about that. <laughs> Think about that. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree. And then we blame, and so, and we blame, we blame the sun. <laughs> we blame the sun. But, and I did notice Personally, I at first I was like, wait a second, just by not having vegetable oils and um, these processed foods in my diet, I'm not going to burn. I'm like, I've always burned. That's ridiculous. It's true. I went this entire summer and I'm pretty fair skinned without using sunscreen most, mo- most of the time when I was in the sun and I didn't burn and I was I got to the point where I was over an hour a day of sun exposure. I would go at lunchtime and just lay out in the sun and it didn't impact. I didn't burn. I didn't burn. I just hand. So I was like, Oh wow, this really is making a huge difference. So it, and when it's the burns that lead to these skin conditions and skin cancers, Mm. So yeah. if you're not burning, I mean, you're at, I'm not saying it's completely a hundred percent, but if you're not burning, you're decreasing your risk of that. Yeah, for sure. I, we talked to Nadine Artemis who told us, you know, a burn is, is definitely not ideal, but it's your body's way of releasing that energy. And that's why you get that kind of reddish hue in your skin. So definitely don't try to burn yourself, but you're right. Like if you can build up a bit of a foundation and get, you know, a bit of a tan going, that's your natural protection. And we took a trip to Mexico in May. I mean, full sun all day. UV index was like 13. I didn't even know it went up that high. Um, and we didn't use a drop of sunscreen the whole time and, and we got tan and it was great. Mm-hmm. It was totally fine. What are some tips and tricks that you like to give for people to, um, develop that, to start to, you know, be exposed to the sun in safe ways that can help them um, later on when they want to spend more time in the sun? I would say, like you said, just build it up gradually. Start off, even if you can ideally get that morning sun on your skin because that sets your circadian rhythm and your body's ability to produce adequate melatonin to sleep at night. But so, you know, getting that early morning sun on your skin and on your face, but also throughout the day, even if you go in little blocks, A lot of people have to work. They're in buildings. Just getting out in the sun as much as possible is going to make a difference. And then also making those dietary changes, cutting out those um, highly volatile vegetable oils, canola oils, those liquid at room temperature oils sitting on the supermarket shelves, and also any processed foods that have those oils in them as well is going to make a huge difference and sticking to more, again, just healthier animal-based 
are going to be very protective as well. Mm, I love that. I love that you mentioned the melatonin connection to daylight, sunlight, because I think a lot of people would think like, well, wait a second, you're telling me not to get blue light exposure. And it's like, well, it's just a certain time. Like hormones are not good or bad. They shouldn't be high all the time or low all the time. Like people talk about cortisol, like cortisol is bad. Like, no, it's not. It's what makes you awake and alert and alive and paying attention to stuff. It doesn't mean you want your cortisol to be, you know, through the roof at three in the morning, but it sure is great to have it high at eight in the morning. And I like to explain to people, it's almost like it's good for protection. Right, right. Totally. Totally. You wouldn't be able to fight off an invader if you were like super chill with no cortisol, like, yo, what's up? (laughs) Um, But, but I almost explain it to people, like think of a pendulum and you want that pendulum to swing really wide. If you're getting daytime sunlight exposure, you know, that swings the pendulum really hard one way. So that then later on when it is time to not have blue light and not have time, you know, not the great time for cortisol, you want melatonin that really good, like get good sleep type hormone to be really high that sets you up to have that happen for you. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. Mm, love that. What about um, movement? What should yeah. what should we and, you know, in particular, like women in their 40s be thinking about as far as movement? Really just, I think, cumulative getting up and moving more frequently throughout the day is more is one of the most important things, not sitting all day. So setting a timer, even if you have like a desk job, like every hour getting up and stretching and moving and going for a little walk and you know, just getting up and moving around small Mm. amounts of movement throughout the day. I also think there's a huge benefit to, for women, um, in terms of strength training so that you keep your bones and muscles strong as you age, but also you can, uh, there's anti-aging and strength and muscle benefits to just doing body weight exercises and not even needing to be lifting heavy, you know, lifting heavy weights. So it's, again, people think you have to be in the gym and you have to be lifting heavy weights, but that's not necessarily the case. You can still get, get the benefits just by doing some, some simple um, push-ups and, body, and um, pull-ups and body weight things that you're going against the resistance of your own body weight is very helpful as well. Um, you can always, you can over, women can overtrain too. And I went to a place with that when I was doing CrossFit where it was probably contributing to my inflammation more than my health. So it's again, finding that middle of the ground that's going to be best for your body. And for some people, they do great with CrossFit. For me, I loved it and I loved my CrossFit family and I had the best time, but it would constantly knock me into autoimmune issues because my autoimmune would get flared up by the um, added stress on my body. Mm, That's actually something I was going to ask you about. Um, If there was a particular reason why you stopped doing CrossFit and started doing jujitsu, which is much more, you know, technical in nature versus, uh, you know, so, so physical. I I was going to ask if you had some type of injury or something that, you know, made you think like, yeah, this probably isn't best to do all the time. Yeah, I did. I, I wanted to, I, I started off doing both and I just, I've, I've wanted to, I've been watching my kids do jujitsu for a few years before I started and I was so curious of it and it just looked so fun to me. But at the same time, I was, it's a male dominated sport and it was, um, you know, a lot of intense, you know, physical and I was, you know, afraid of injury, afraid of hurting somebody. I had like a lot of fears surrounding it. But I'm finding that 
the it's a it's a very gentle movement. It's a nice flow, and I think it's great because I'm still tightening and using all my muscles um, to the point where, for the first time in my life, I have abs, which I I've I've never had an act, like actual abs. But I think because you're constantly in this like in these holding these very specific positions tightly that you, you still gain strength from it. Like I'm still getting strong and I'm still getting muscle definition and tone and I'm still getting that movement and exercise and cardio all wrapped into one. And I just feel like it's a lot gentler on my body. Whereas lifting the heavy weights, I would get really puffy and inflamed. I'm not experiencing that inflammation with jujitsu. Mm, that's great. And I feel like it's a lot. Yeah. And it's better for my mental health. I love the meditative factor because when you're rolling with somebody, you're not really thinking about anything except your next move and, you know, keeping the role going and submitting the person or, you know, just, it puts you in a very slow state, which I think is good for brain health as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, you mentioned CrossFit family, and nobody does community um, and tribalism like CrossFit does. They are incredible about that. But jujitsu seems know. so similar. Where you 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 show up, you're struggling with the same people, you know, day after day, week after week. It seems like you could also develop really close ties and a really great community around that. Is that true? Yes, I actually just wrote a piece on um, on my experiences that I've of growth through my first year of jujitsu, because I came in as a, uh, as a female, a small framed female to a, um, male dominated sport. So it was definitely, you know, quite the transition. And I wrote about one of the things I wrote about, um, in this piece was my experiences with all these different people on the mat and being one of the only few females and people come to come to it from all different backgrounds. You have people with special needs there, and you have people with all different socioeconomic backgrounds. You have serious people, funny people, like all different people. But when you're on the mat, all that matters is that you're all on the mat together doing the same work. You're all doing the same work. You're all working on yourself. Everybody's working on themselves and just trying to improve their jujitsu skills. Mm. So we all have the same goal. And it does feel like it took me a while to get to that place where it felt like I had a family and a community, but it does feel like that. And it's a really good feeling to have that the, all these people would have my back and, and be there for me if I needed help with something. Mm. And it's nice to have that, that, that sense of community, I think is so important. Wow. Yeah, I, I totally love that. We can't talk about movement with you without talking about the importance of women in particular strengthening the pelvic wall. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why that's so important? It is. It's part of our core. The pelvic um, wall is definitely part of our core. It's something that you don't want to lose because that can contribute to issues down the line when you're older with, inc with um, struggling with incontinence and keeping it keeping everything in the pelvic wall tight and firm is going to help your whole core stay strong. So there's a lot of benefits to that. And also for your sexual health, for women's sexual health, a lot of times sex can become painful 
strengthening your, your pelvic wall helps with that as well. There's so many health benefits to that as well. Definitely. And I think that it's often um, that part of, especially women who have had children, that part of care is often just overlooked. And it's so, I feel like it's such an important thing to take into consideration and to work towards and to fix as well that we just, we tend to, it, it doesn't tend to be up there on the level of importance, but it has a huge impact on long-term health for sure. Mm, yeah. Love that. Couldn't agree more. Tell us how spirituality fits in with all of this as well. Oh my goodness. So when I went to graduate school, I studied uh, movement. I studied um, rehabilitation counseling and disability studies and the school that I went to, their logo was Mind, Body, Spirit. I went to Springfield College and their logo was Mind, Body, Spirit. And that always stuck with me because it's kind of like the three-legged stool. And if you knock one of those legs off the stool, then you're not going to, something's going to throw, it's going to throw everything else off. I feel like we need to have something that we see as bigger than us help us to gain some perspective and understanding. And even if that thing that we see that's bigger than us means just our higher self, just going deeper into understanding ourselves, that it doesn't have to be a dogmatic religious approach where, where you're, it can be, and that can work for some people, but for some people it works better to just know that, know that there's something bigger, because if you have that belief system and something like that to hold on to, it gives you more clarity, more purpose, more direction, more drive. And you're not, you're no longer abandoning yourself. And I think that's an important thing to always take into consideration is to have, to look for that and to have that, to find that whatever it means to you, um, which is different for everyone. But I think it's important to just have that, have that sense of, something bigger, something greater, mm. universe, universe, love, God. Um, some people see it as just their higher self, their soul, something greater than ourselves. Otherwise we get stuck in that protective mode of me, myself, and I. And nowadays we live in a very self-centered world. So having something greater, I think, can help with empathy and compassion as well. Mm, I love that. If I can ask you, like you, for you personally, what components of spirituality are the most important in your own life? Prayer. Um, I, I think prayer is important to me in terms of it just being very meditative, very relaxing. It feels like I'm having a conversation with someone where I can spill everything out. And nothing needs to come. I don't need to listen and return. I don't need to respond. And it takes a weight off my shoulder. And I feel I feel um, guarded and protected. So I think prayer is very important to me. And connect. I've been making um, a, a real effort just to make that effort to connect with my higher self. And something um, bigger than myself and my ego, but under trying to understand all the underlying thing, all the underlying things that we suffer from, all our worries, all our fears, all our darknesses, all our anxieties. They're just, um, 
understanding that as the human condition and seeing beyond it, I think, again, if you can see that in yourself, then you can see it better in other people and understand why they make the choices they make. And even if you disagree with someone else's choices, you can get out of your head with it and see more clearly that it's really not about you. It's about their own struggles. Um, So if you don't have that, you don't gain that clarity and understanding, it can be where you get really stuck in some places that are not beneficial to you. Mm. That makes any sense. Yeah, totally. It's just, it's a good recipe for a lot of suffering, needless suffering that you're going to have to go through until you add those pieces to your life. So I absolutely love that. Your book has been out for a bit now. I'm just, I'm curious to know if there's anything you would go back and maybe change or add or take away from the book since it's been out. Yeah, I need to update it actually. (laughs) It it was definitely more of, more of a um, nutrition stuff. I would, I would definitely make a lot, put a lot more information in it on carnivore because I hadn't explored carnivore yet when I wrote it. And it's changed my life so drastically that I think I would maybe even, I'm even considering just writing about just my, my carnivore experiences. Mm. Um, so definitely I would add that to it, but everything else, I think I would probably keep pretty much the same. I might, I would maybe include a little bit more of my spirituality insights because they're always growing and changing. But, um, for the most part, it's basic information and it, it, um, it's kind of giving resources for people to be able to dig deeper into any of those areas and learn more. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I love asking authors, you know, what they'd be willing to change. And I love it when they answer like, no, I I feel like I got it pretty well down, you know, besides some new experiences you've had. Are you planning on writing another one anytime soon? I do want to, I've been um, pondering what I want to write about and whether I want to write about, um, more spirituality topics, more relationship topics, like all those types of things are kind of swirling through my brain. So I'm trying to figure out what I want to write about, but I always have a lot of ideas and thoughts swirling around and I love to write. It's such a great outlet for me. So I'm definitely making an effort to do more writing. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I, you are a very good writer. I love your blog and reading all your articles there. Um, selfishly, I've got a question. Yeah, absolutely. Very sincere. Um, selfishly, I've got a question that I don't even know how to phrase in 2021. Uh, I don't know who's going to get triggered by this. I'm sure I'll get a million emails or something, but I want to ask how can the, the, the male role help support the female role? I mean, we have a fairly traditional marriage, you know, I'm a, a guy like how, what, what things can I do to help support, you know, my partner as you know, we're, we're going through life and, and going through the aging process as well. Oh man. I love that question. That's an amazing question. I love, I've been doing a lot of reading on male and female energy, male and female dynamics, healthy, happy relationships. So even by you asking me that it, it like really fired me up and it's making me think like, I really want to write about this. Um, so that's, I think it's a wonderful mm. question. So women in general, we are a little bit, our female energy. So not even women so much, but people who carry more of the feminine essence and the feminine energy tend to be a little bit more ungrounded, a little more creative, 
playful, let a, a little bit more making decisions based on feelings that might not necessarily be their ultimate, the ultimate decision, but making spur of the moment decisions that aren't really thought out because we tend to make decisions based on feelings versus based on reality. And men in general tend to be a little bit more grounded and a little bit more, a little bit more able to make sound decisions and lead. And I feel like women feel better when they don't have to have the burden of making all the decisions. They can relax into their feminine essence and experience more joy and freedom in their lives when they allow to be led by the masculine. So in my opinion, from my own personal experiences and a lot of reading I've been doing on this particular topic, I think being able to stand strong through female storms because we're very women, female energy can be very stormy. Being able to stand rooted through that with without wavering, without backing down and letting your stuff get in the way, but just being able to stand and be a strong leader and a strong standing person in her life would make a huge difference, definitely. Mm, I love that. It's rooted and ground. Yeah, rooted and grounded, being able to lead, being able to make the decisions confidently that I think would actually take a lot of burden off because women don't want to be standing in, not, I say women, but I say I don't want to leave anyone out. So people who have more of a feminine energy to them or feminine essence, it can be highly stressful to have to make a bunch of decisions. And sometimes those decisions are not very logically made because we tend to think and lead from our emotions. So having to not have to worry about making those and just having somebody who can stand grounded and be a good leader in the relationship, I think that would be ideal. Mm, I love that. That's great advice. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for yeah. addressing that. Like I said, it's it's tough, you know, with all the gender stuff going it is. on. And, and I, <laughs> with all the gen, yes, I'm trying to be political here, yeah, and not totally. offend anyone. <laughs> At the same time, I tend to, I have swayed. I, I I I've definitely swayed quite a bit, and I feel I've moved more in the direction of a of a more um, traditional um, role approach, working best for. I don't think the way we're doing it now is working the best. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and there's a lot more to explore on that topic, but that is what, I don't know if you've heard of the book, The Way of the Superior Man by David Dida. I've heard of it. It's um, been on my radar for a little while, but I haven't read it. No. Oh, definitely read that one. Mm, awesome. That's, you'll, yeah, you'll love that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's a great one. Awesome. 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 What a very well thought out and thoughtful answer. We really appreciate that. Anything else you're working on for the future? Um, not that I can think of at the moment. 
Nice. <laughs> That's not a bad answer. <laughs> That's not a bad answer at all. How do you work with people? How, what what way do you prefer to you know see clients work with people? Do you do that one on one or group settings or how does that work? Right now, just through word of mouth, I'm mostly doing editing right now and editing and writing that type of work. I work for um, Revelation Health. I manage their some of their health websites. And I also do my own writing, my own blogging, and I do a lot of editing for people. But I still take nutrition clients and I just, um, typically it's through word of mouth. I haven't been doing too much advertising. Cool. Oh, that's great. That's a great way to start to build, you know, a group of people. If, if you're getting referrals, that means you're just doing great work. So that's awesome. Um, this has been an amazing mm-hmm. conversation. We've covered a lot of ground. Uh, what is one simple thing you'd like to distill down to the listener if they had to walk away f- from this conversation with just one thing? I would say honor yourself and don't, don't neglect yourself. Dig deeper. For answers, do be your own self advocate. Be don't go by one answer that a one particular doctor tells you. Keep digging and really try to find the root of what's going on and make those small, simple changes and just keep taking steps in the right direction. It's it's unfortunate that that has to be what you say for the piece of advice, but it's absolutely true and it's great advice for today's day and age. And I, I just couldn't agree more. Catherine Koss, thank you so much for appearing on our show. Where can people go to connect with you and find your work? I am on www.primalmusings.com and I'm active on Instagram at primal underscore musings. I do share a lot of um, spirituality type stuff on there. Yeah, it's great. I've loved following you on Instagram, not only for that content, but again, the pictures of the beautiful, beautiful area of the planet you're in with all the colors changing. It's just really awesome to see. So definitely highly recommend that. Catherine uh, uh, Koss, um, thank you so much again for everything that you've gone through. Thank you for being your own advocate and then sharing that journey with others so that they can be aware of, of that as well. Um, again, it's unfortunate that that has to be the advice that you leave us with, but it's very, very good advice. And we're so grateful for you and your work and for taking the time to be on our show today. We're, we're very grateful for that. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was nice to chat. Yeah, it was a great chat. Such an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.